For this week's episode, we had the pleasure of recording live at the Minnesota Council of Nonprofits Annual Conference, which was held in Duluth on September 21st, 2023. We start the episode discussing the role of nonprofits in supporting trans rights, and then interview Jess Braverman, Legal Director for Gender Justice. Enjoy the episode. It is my privilege to introduce our stars, Anna and Cam Kruger. Aliana, Aliana, or Anna Kruger, is a queer, disabled young activist, public speaker, and an interim board chair for Trans Northland. Anna is studying social work at the University of Minnesota Duluth. She has created an educational platform that encourages open and honest conversations, mistakes, and radical acceptance and love. Cameron, or Cam Kruger, is a passionate advocate for the nonprofit sector. He currently serves as an institutional giving manager for gender justice and founder of That Nonprofit Guy, a consultancy focused on nonprofit capacity building. Cam is also a recently outgoing board chair of the Minnesota Council of Nonprofits and an adjunct professor of organizational leadership for Southern New Hampshire University. And he also happens to be Anna's dad. Anna, Anna and Cam, please come on up and please give them a warm welcome. We'll just awkwardly make a lot of noise yeah. here for a second. Get ourselves settled. Hi. It feels like family in this room, all 600 of you. Um, it's, it's nice to be back in a different context. Thank you so much, Minnesota Council of Nonprofits, for having us today. Hi. I'm Anna, a transgender person. And I'm Cam, your dad. And this is The Transgender, a podcast chronicling my transition. And a cisgender man learning how to support it. Since we're in a room full of incredible nonprofit professionals, we thought that we'd start today's podcast uh, about how to make your organizations more inclusive of transgender people. So, Anna, you're a transgender people. I am. What is that? A trans a, gen, a, a transgender people. Uh, we we as a people. No. Uh, <laughs> um, transgender people are people who do not identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth. I'm sure that most of you have a basic understanding of what that is. What I really want to talk about is what gender means. And gender is a social construct that inherently plays into oppression in all aspects of well, life, for lack of a better term. Um, And it is a feeling and a emotion and a science that isn't a science. It's a pseudoscience. Um, But really what it is, is it is an individual's own feelings about what they identify as. For example, Cam, you are a cisgender man. You identify as a man, I imagine. I do. I I am not a cisgender man. I I don't know what about it gives that away to some people, but some people are like, you're definitely a man. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Uh, I I identify as a woman, and more specifically, I identify as a demi-fae woman, which uh, is just a way that I can describe my own gender, something that everyone can do in their own words. There's a lot about culture that plays into that, too. I yes. mean, we're not talking just about science, but we're talking about these weird expectations that we place on ourselves to fit a certain kind of mold, um, and, and I don't get that. Yeah, culture is stupid uh, in a lot of ways. Um, <laughs> it's oppressive the, is what the, it the, is. The sociologists in here are going to be mad at me. Um, no, uh, culture is inherently inherently plays into gender. I think that all of us have heard about bathroom bills or about, you know, we've all probably used a public bathroom in one way or another. And I just kind of want to get a general sense of hands. How many of you out in the audience enjoy using a public restroom? <laughs> it would have been really weird if I saw a hand. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to... Get that person out of here. <laughs> um, no, no one enjoys using a public restroom. So, you know, as... 
why are we making it harder for anyone to use a public restroom when nobody likes to use them anyway? Um, and, and culture really plays into that of, oh, well, you're different than me, so clearly you have to pee in a different spot than I do. If we, if we didn't have bathrooms and it was just trees that we were peeing on, or, or rocks, <laughs> like, I think it's more rocks that well, we were supposed to Anywhere where your bits are just out, yeah. you know, but that's not uh, what public restrooms provide for us, right? <laughs> Except for exactly. urinals. We decided at this table, no more urinals, get rid of them all. They're terrible. Urinals are gross. Um, and, and a good social experiment. Um, but really what gender is, is it is a, an experience that individuals feel internally and are able to then, in multiple ways, express and identify and be themselves in ways that, until somewhat recently in American culture, has not been accepted. Um, you know, for example, I sometimes like to wear elf ears and express my gender in that way. Cam, you have blue hair. I do. Until recently, that was not acceptable for a cisgender white man to it, do. It was a little bit of a risk for me. Um, and I don't know why. It's just blue hair, right? It's just blue but hair. But it said something to other people about who I am and what my identity is. And Cam, thankfully, you have had a lot of time to experience your gender in, in the years that you have had me as a trans daughter. Um, and what does, I guess, what does gender mean to you? Yeah, well, you know, I, I always struggled with my masculinity. Um, I thought, when I heard the word masculinity, I thought toxic, you know, like, like men do bad things in the world, and I didn't want to be associated with that. So it's taken me a long journey to feel okay being a man and being a cisgender man um, and, and identifying with that and saying, what about masculinity is important to me? Um, and, and now I'm okay with that. I feel much better, and I can talk about myself in a way that says, I, I identify as the gender I was assigned at birth, and I feel okay with that. But that was a journey for me. It's a journey for everyone. I don't think that any of you in this room are like, no, I am exactly the same person that I came out of my mother's womb as, uh, or, or was grown in a test. Tube. I hope I not. That's it. a big yeah, baby person. Yeah, it's a really big baby person. Be weird that you're doing nonprofit work as, <laughs> as a giant infant. Um, uh, ultimately, though, gender is oppressive. And as Jess, uh, our, our guest who will be coming up later, said, screw gender uh, and all of that, uh, because it doesn't matter except that it does. Um, people put way too much emphasis on gender. I do not care what people think about my gender or what people think about who I am internally. Yeah. What I do care about is that they respect me. And that's ultimately the message that we try and get across with gender is just respect the people you're talking to. You don't need to like how they identify. You don't need to like who they are internally as a person. But that doesn't mean that you can disrespect them. And I think that everyone in this room knows that. Well, and I think... I believe, I think we believe, that everybody in this room is trying to make the world better. And um, Nanoko really hit that home in, in her speech just before us here. And I also think that everyone in this room wants their employees and the people they serve to feel comfortable um, and to be supported in their identities. But we're surrounded by systems that are oppressive to minority populations, and they're built on a foundation of white supremacy. So what do we do? Yes, we're going to solve white supremacy and, and oppression in the next 10 minutes, everyone. Just, of course uh, we are, yeah. Just, just so you know. Or, or uh, listen to our podcast. That's what we're... <laughs> we're just dismantling the whole system there. Um, I also wanted to say, we are two white people up here. Uh, I... I love to discuss with people about race and how that can really play in, especially when it comes to gender identity and those expressions. However, I am not the person you should be listening to about race. We should be listening to people who experience the oppression that comes with being a non-white person. Um, so how do you, as nonprofit professionals, be supportive of trans people in your organizations? And not just your employees, people who come in your front door and are like, I am seeking your services, I am seeking the uh, support that you offer. Um, and the best way is to, wherever you can, use their proper pronouns. Have ways to engage with them, ask what their name is, ask what their pronouns are, and make it clear that they don't have to mask. They don't have to be, oh, well, I'm John from accounting. No, you can be Jill from accounting or Jill from, I don't know, 
whatever department whatever department you want but you can be uh, yourself in our organization like we we support you in your identity and the other piece of this too we just keep talking about the fact that people don't just wake up one day and know everything about who they are we're all evolving <laughs> human beings right so we also need to be okay with people's journeys to finding out who they are and and welcoming of that one of the the best things that trans people have told me, because it was something that I struggled with in my own transition, is the telling certain people to use names for them in one situation and use a different name for them in another situation. And trans people do this out of safety. We all do things out of safety sometimes. And it is really important that you as professionals and personal people understand that if a trans person is trusting enough of you to say, use these pronouns or name for me in this situation, but not in this situation, it means that they trust you, that you are a safe person. And that is such a benefit for every person in that situation. And I would say, too, if that person has given up a piece of their identity, a name or a set of pronouns, there's no reason to ever use those names or pronouns ever again. You don't need to say my brother who's now my sister or, you know, they used to be John, but now they're Jill. There's really no reason. For me, I don't need that context. I I just need to know who that person is um, so that we can experience them in who they want to be. Yeah. Uh, another really important thing that you can all do is work to change the physical situations that your buildings are. If your buildings have two bathrooms, make them gender neutral. If your buildings have, you know, men's and women's or whatever, try your best to incorporate them, make them as open and accessible as you can. Because for people who don't want to use a men's restroom or don't want to use a women's restroom, sometimes the dichotomy is not, well, I'm just going to use the opposite restroom. If we all have open spaces, we can all benefit from it. Also, why are public restrooms public anymore? Just have a private room if you can. If you're building a new building, just make all your bathrooms one single room. It's great. Much, much better. So we talked a little bit about my mental journey. You know, we started this podcast because when Anna came out, I knew nothing. Um, <laughs> and I still don't know a lot, uh, but I've learned a lot. And I'm really thankful for the journey that we've been on. This has been an incredibly important experience to me to become a better ally. It's what led me to start working for gender justice because I suddenly felt like this is really important. This is also the front lines of like systematic impress- oppression of gender <laughs> in our society. Um, and so... I just want to say I appreciate what you've done to bring me along on this journey and make me a better ally for people. Yeah, it has been a very rough journey for the two of us. Um, I I like to talk about the time when Cam uh, said, oh, shit. I don't know if I can swear. Can I swear? (laughs) Okay. Uh, We swear on our podcast. Sorry, everybody. We try our best. Close your ears for a little. No. he said, he, I'm quoting him, he said, oh shit, I have to use a different name and pronouns. And I was and, mourning your and, dead name. And, and you were mourning my dead name. And as a 11-year-old trans woman, I was like, what the hell does that mean? Like, I don't care. Um, and some of that is the rebellion. But another part is, it's not your place to mourn or grieve or have feelings toward that trans person in their presence. You are allowed to have those feelings. You are allowed to be frustrated. You are allowed to grieve and have those feelings. Just don't place it on the trans person. It's not our fault that we transition. Blame, I don't know, whatever higher power or not you believe in. Um, And so when, when I say I love you and also you have done so many bad things in regards to I've made a number of mistakes uh, (laughs) over the years. Yes. I I mean it. Um, I love you too, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, But ultimately it is a journey and it is some, all of us inherently have been taught to be oppressive because that is the society that we have grown up and lived in. And I think that every day we are all working to negate that oppression and to benefit each other, take each other at our word. Um, And sometimes being the person who is being oppressed, it means that you have to deal with some bullshit. (laughs) Even if it's from your own dad. Even if it's from your own dad. The people closest to us are often the ones who cause the most harm. So uh, we got to work on that, right? So let's close the segment with a few takeaways. 
Um, no matter how inclusive you are as an individual person, you also need to put that work into you and your organization. Um, you, we need to learn. And we don't need to learn off the backs of the people that are oppressed. I mean, that was the point that Anna just made. Um, listening to our podcast is specifically <laughs> there. We created this for the purpose of you learning so that you can be more supportive of trans people in the rest of your life. So that you don't have to go to your daughters and your cousins and your sisters and say, tell me everything about your experience and how I can be more supportive, because that's a big lift for somebody who's already experiencing a lot of oppression in their lives. Uh, what else? I, I do this professionally. I talk about my transition and my experiences professionally because I don't want to have any other trans person feel like they have to. So listen to me, because I'm talking about it, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, listen to uh, her. <laughs> Um, but no, really, the ways that you can be more inclusive in your organizations, in your daily life, in, in all that you do as nonprofit professionals is to accept people at their word, to take them and believe them and to address them as they need to be addressed. It is not a preferred pronoun. It's not a preferred name. It is a name. It is a pronoun. Just like Cam uses he, him pronouns, I would not go around and start calling him she, her, uh, or, or, Janelle or whatever. Uh, good name, by the way. That's a good um, name. You just went to go see Janelle Monet, so that's yeah, in your yeah, brain. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it lives there. <laughs> um, ultimately, though, all of you know the work that needs to be done. All of you are doing the work that needs to be done. And what really matters is that you take that and you apply it to all aspects of your life. You're professionals, but you're also people, and you live out in the world. And the work that you do matters but so does your interpersonal relationships. And I hope that all of you get a chance to meet a trans person. I mean, you have today, I guess. Uh, come, come network with me. We have um, stickers. Yeah, we do. Um, but I hope that you all get a chance to meet a trans person in your personal lives and have a chance to put into practice the things that you do in your professional life. Acceptance. Radical acceptance. Do you like to save money? I know I do. That's why I've started using Upside. Upside is an app that gives you cash back on your everyday purchases. I personally save up to 22 cents per gallon on gas, and there are deals for up to 30% back at restaurants. And if you use our offer code, you can save an additional 15 cents per gallon on your first gas purchase and support the transgender while you're at it. Just go to Upside.com to get the app and use offer code Cameron 634 Nine three six. That's C A M E R O N six three four nine three six to get fifteen more cents off when you fill up your tank. Make your dollars go further with cash back from Upside. I don't even know how to follow that up except her to say, "I'd like to introduce our guest for today's podcast." <laughs> Uh, they're a lawyer, so we're going to try not to say anything incriminating today. Uh, she's also the legal director for Gender Justice, with a track record of successfully fighting discrimination in the courtroom. Welcome to the stage, Jess Braverman! Um, can, can I have a podcast intro, which is, I'm Jess Braverman, your dad's colleague. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, you can. Uh, I didn't know how much I want to talk about Jess and I work together, um, <laughs> and I'm really appreciative that they're willing to be here today. Um, it is so great to have you, Jess, and I love this question, and I know all of our guests hate it. Um, we start by asking every single guest that we have, uh, tell us everything about yourself. Um, I'm, I'm just going to give you, like, the least relevant information. So <laughs> I, uh, I drove a monorail at the Bronx Zoo is like one of my yeah, yeah. Dang. I did I was a kitty ride operator at Coney Island um and now I'm a lawyer so <laughs> I, hey yeah. hey we're branching into like reasonable you know yeah. not not like things that we want to know tell us more about yeah. this monorail so it is this is I don't know how to do this so that the tour was called wild asia and I had to welcome everyone to wild asia like I'm sorry there was a script we had to read and people would like <laughs> sit on the tour and make sure we were following the script and so I learned a lot about, like, the difference between horns and antlers. And, like, I got to see a red panda every day. It was a really cool job. And, like, when things get really stressful, I'm like, I can always fall back on my, like, monorail skills. <laughs> Your backup career is a zoo monorail operator. It, it's so good. Um, but I, I'm originally from the Bronx. Uh, 
I grew up, I, I went to an extremely religious school, which means like I had no sex ed. I, my colleagues had to teach me about pregnancy so that I can do my like abortion rights litigation <laughs> because I was like, how does pregnancy work? Because, <laughs> um, and you know, is the world more than 5,000 years old? And you know, I still get really freaked out by things like carbon dating. Um, and so I, <laughs> it's really terrifying to me. And it's so terrifying to me too. Just, it, just to throw it out that's, there. That's yeah. really, I feel valid. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I grew up in the Bronx. Um, I went to law school and then I, um, moved to Minnesota. So I used to represent kids in family court in Brooklyn, New York, a super high volume courthouse. Uh, I represented kids whose parents were charged with abuse and neglect, uh, situations, kids had lawyers, like direct advocates. So they would tell me what they wanted and I would advocate for what they wanted in court. Um, and then I would represent kids charged with crimes. Uh, they're called they're, juvenile delinquencies. They're like, if they were an adult, it would be a crime, but they're a juvenile. Um, and then I came to Hennepin County. I did adult felony work and then I came to gender justice. Amazing. Yeah. That's quite a journey. But I, st I lead with monorail driver because it's, uh, it's no, the it's thing the, I'm it's most a good proud one. of. It's the coolest thing <laughs> yeah. that I think you have said so far. Yeah. We'll, we'll have a conversation later about how much has translated from your monorail driving to being a lawyer, if there's any like uh, <laughs> tools that you've got. But what I'd like to actually hear about is your work at Gender Justice. Um, what does Gender Justice do? Uh, and uh, what kind of litigation have you been a part of in the past? Yeah, so we are a nonprofit uh, civil rights we, we, we do litigation, we also do education, advocacy, so in the court and out of the court. Um, and we do a lot of work around LGBTQ rights, abortion and other reproductive rights, sex discrimination, sexual harassment, all kinds of things like that. And so um, I really love the work we do because we don't, a lot of organizations, it's like we're the LGBT org, we're the reproductive rights org, and for us we're like, it's all the same, right? It's all about bodily autonomy, right? Like not being sexually harassed at work, making your own decisions about reproductive health care, and being able to define yourself and your gender, right? These are all issues of bodily autonomy, and if you start to cabin them, they have more in common than they do, like, not in common, right? Um, I remember talking to a client I have on a case where a, a pharmacist refused to give her her prescription for emergency contraception, and I was like, this case is really cool because winning, you know, a lot of the arguments we're making are also really good for the trans kids we represent, and she was like, that's so awesome, you know, because it's it's all connected. Um, and so, we, yeah, we do a lot of, uh, we sue people, and we, we tend to do well. <laughs> yeah. We do tend to do well. <laughs> so, Jess, we're seeing a troubling rise in white Christian nationalism, and it is creating a wave of anti-trans, I mean, anti-everything that isn't a cisgender white straight man, uh, laws in, in uh, state legislatures across the country. Can you tell us about how gender justice current gender justice's current lawsuits um, and how these cases are helping to fight back against this wave of anti-trans legislation? Yeah, so um, I think one thing I, I always tell people to like unpack things, and one area where I think that's like the most helpful is the issue of trans, uh, participation by trans women in women's sports. Gender justice like, is unequivocally in favor of uh, trans women in women's sports, like unequivocally. Um, I, and I say this as an athlete, like I played um, basketball, volleyball, and lacrosse in high school. I grew up playing tennis. I've done an Ironman or half Ironman. Let's not get carried away. <laughs> also, like, never again. Um, I've done Grandma's Marathon, right? Like, so I, I love sports. I'm a Lynx member. I just watched them go down in flames last night, but I still love them. Um, you know, so I, I don't say this as someone, like, separate from sports. I grew up playing girls' sports, women's sports. Um, and so... What we're seeing in the courts is like these organizations who are dedicated to um, re religious liberties, religious freedoms, coming into court and taking really strong stances against trans girls, like playing kickball with other girls. And I'm Jewish, so help me out. I don't know what Jesus said about like fifth grade kickball, um, but like it's it's an odd it's an odd thing, right? Like it's it's what what is the connection here? Like I get when it's you know a religious shopkeeper who doesn't want to serve certain people. Well, I don't agree with the position they take. I understand why an organization would litigate that case, right? Um, I it's really um, trying to enforce really rigid gender roles, like sex testing in sport has been harmful to all women. It is like the Olympics are a human rights disaster. And, and I, that, that's putting it mildly. Um, there's, there's stories about women who've gotten like 
surgeries because they found out uh, th there's this horrible report put out by um you know i think it was human rights watch about um women grew, grew up as women have you know women on their birth certificate right cisgender women but it turns out that they had some intersex variation like internal testes let's say or you know th things of that nature which they only found out because they were really good at their sport so someone said you must be a man which is the, you know so then they had to get tested the, they then went and got surgery were never able to run again we're not told what the surgery would be like like sex testing in in sport is horrific and it's had really hor horrifying consequences um and uh, as yeah. jesus said he came down and he said test all the girls yeah <laughs> yeah make yeah. sure uh make sure that they are really women yeah he J jesus said like you're all men unless i deem otherwise <laughs> like so, like um no I, I i you know and so what it is is this kind of um Organi these organizations realize, okay, not everyone's religious, right? Like saying like the old school things they used to say, right? It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, ha ha, um, right? But like that doesn't appeal to everyone. Um, and so you start to couch it, couch it in junk science, right? Like trans women are stronger than cis women. Okay, like which trans woman and which cis woman? Is it on average? And then like, what does that mean for individual athletes? And like, is are you saying like... The, the wackiest one for me, I read a lot of sci-fi, and the wackiest one for me is like, this person is trans, so they have an advantage. And I'm like, okay, an advantage over who? And it's like, well, if they if they were born like a cisgender woman and aren't a trans woman, their bodies would be different. And I'm like, okay, an advantage, like, what are you saying? And it's like, basically, it turns out what they're saying is like, this person would have an advantage over this made up other person they would be if they were born into completely different circumstances, which at which point I think we're in sci-fi territory, not well, science and, territory. Now they're applying it to chess, too. Yeah. And we're saying, what physical advantage do you have as a trans person in chess? Like, that makes absolutely <laughs> no sense to me. As a trans woman, I have no physical advantage. I can't even <laughs> run five blocks without getting tired. <laughs> so like, I don't know where this whole argument is coming from. It doesn't apply to me, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And, and since we brought up race too, a lot of the sex testing in sport has targeted black athletes, black women athletes. Um, there's litigation going on. Um, Castor Semenya, Duddy Chan. Like I, I would look up those cases to learn more. We don't even have. I can talk about sports all day. Is the problem, and this is not a sports <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, but I would highly recommend doing research. And like I always say, unpack it. Like with this sports stuff, I, people are like, it's, it seems intuitive. Men are stronger than women. It's like which men are stronger than which women? Like what are you talking about? And also, you know, the other thing I would say about that, and I. Know no, this was not the question. It was about white supremacy. When I tell you I could talk all day about sports, like, um, we talk about sports as though you, like, show up and they, like, measure your muscle mass and then you go home. Like, there's an actual athletic endeavor that you do and it's not all, it doesn't all come down to, like, the structure of your body, right? Like, I went to... Um, I grew up in the Bronx. We played like basketball in schoolyards, right? And other kids had coaches and and paid you know paid more money to like participate in training, right? Like some some kids worked multiple jobs and don't have breakfast at home. And how are they supposed to play sport? Like there's a lot that goes into sport performance beyond like what you were what what a doctor put on your birth certificate when you were born. It's it's ridiculous. Uh... I'm very glad that you talked about sports. That was that was going to be one of our questions. Um, but kind of moving along from that, you know, something that I talk a lot about, uh, and I know that gender justice does too, is the intersection between abortion and reproductive rights and trans people. Because inherently there is a lot of communication between the two, bodily autonomy being the main one. Um, how do you see these rights being related and, and how do you address that? Yeah, so um, going back to sports. <laughs> um, if you, if you, oh no, it is a sports podcast yeah. now. We're gonna have to get athletic. Uh, yeah, yeah. Start, start like, start pumping while I, while I. All right, so, so, but, but if you look at like the sports bans that get passed in states around the country, they're often passed not with, with like bills that are like, let's bring more money to girls' sports, let's make sure all kids get school lunch so they can participate in sports. Right? They're being introduced with abortion bans. Um, and that's because it's the same organizations and the same people who are pushing trans bans and abortion bans. Um, there's not a, it, it's the, it's the same legislators. It's the same organizations, right? Like no offense if there are lawmakers here, but lawmakers don't frequently like come up with ideas and write their own, but right. Like organizations right. come to them, safe pass these bills and whatever. The same organizations are pushing abortion bans that are pushing bans on, on gender affirming care, bans on trans girls participating in sport, right? So for, for, the other side, I think that's 
their advantage, right? Like they see it as connected and, and the other side often ends up cabining these issues when they're not actually different. It's about the right to make decisions over your body. Um, the problem I think is that once a bill like that gets passed, we've already lost because at that point you lose your privacy. Like you have to, in order to challenge it, we need what's called standing, right? Like someone needs to say, I have a right to come to court because I'm impacted. And to say you're impacted, let's say you have a bill targeting trans kids, like I'm a child and I'm trans and here's inf information about my genitalia, right? Like you've already lost at that point because you've lost your privacy. Um, and, and so I think, you know, more attention really needs to be paid to what's going on in state legislatures around the country because that's where the real harm is. Like I could go in and win a case, but like someone, a family has to like bear their soul to a bunch of strangers in order to get there and that's not okay. Um, and but we just saw that in the North Dakota lawsuit. Um, yeah. So so we are suing the state of North Dakota, um, which has been a huge win for us. It's a huge, momentous case. Uh, but it meant having a family come forward and be extremely vulnerable about their trans child in front of the whole world. Sorry, I just want to clarify. That's gender justice, not the transgender. Yeah. We, <laughs> we, the transgender, are not suing North Dakota. <laughs> thank, thank you. Yes, yes. Um, so, so it's, you know, it's, it's really, um, and, and I think it's the same is true with abortion. Like there was a recent case in Texas where basically, uh, women and I, and I, you know, it's okay to use the, the word women, like the, the people who came forward are women. Um, women came forward and said, you know, this is the effect that the abortion ban is having. And it was brutal. Like the level of detail they gave about the horrors. I mean, people, because, uh, doctors in Texas, it, as we're all nonprofit people, right? So like you have these lawyers, they're extremely risk averse. And so there's a bill that says it's a felony to provide an abortion unless you know someone's going to die. The, the lawyers will say like, well, you never know someone's going to die, right? Like, so like they're not performing these procedures. And so people are almost dying and people have had to come into court and give this like really brutal, really raw testimony about that experience of like almost dying when the fetus is, you know, not, not going to live anyway. Like it's, it's horrifying what people have to do when state legislatures overstep and take away their, their bodily autonomy. And so all of these bills, like gender-affirming care bans, sports bans, abortion bans, contraception <laughs> limitations, all of these bills are actually coming from the same sources. They're um, extremely uh, religious um, organizations and um, seeking to kind of control how everyone practices their religion, right? Because when we sued... Um, in Minnesota, over Minnesota's abortion restrictions, we represented the first Unitarian Society of Minneapolis who basically said, like, these abortion restrictions violate our religious rights. We teach reproductive freedom. Like, we have classes on this. We teach young people about abortion, right? Like, we teach them this option. And I grew up Jewish in an extremely religious, conservative school, but we didn't talk about abortion because it's not, like, banned um, in my religion. And so it, it is this kind of, like supremacy of one religion that's that's taking over and the more we see it as one big cause the better chance we have of succeeding because what the other side's doing really well is taking the issue like sports and being like cis women the real threat to like women's sports is trans women and it's like you mean like the one trans like the one trans woman you've ever heard of who won like one swim meet like <laughs> like that's literally what you're talking about right like so I, the, the real enemy in women's sports right it's like unequal pay there's not enough like money for women coaches there's not enough um advertising rep you know there's not enough advertising that goes into women's sports right like, there's real problems in women's sport and so sexism it feels and oppression like, yes. you know like the other things that all of you understand about society yes and so there's real problems in women's sport but those problems are not like more people wanting to participate in women's sport <laughs> right so <laughs> Um, one thing that I did want to double back on a little bit, because you talked about it, about women needing abortions, in this topic about trans people too, there are trans men who need abortions. There are men who require the services that are being banned as well. And it is, like, all of this is inherently connected, and more than just the right things that it is connected. Everyone benefits from having access to abortion. Everyone benefits from having bodily autonomy. So that's really important to also note here is like, Jess said women, well, there are also a lot of men who need abortions too. Yeah, and so the distinction there, absolutely, 100%, the distinction there is like the people, so there, there's uh, anti-trans folks who say like, now we can't even say the word women. And it's like, yes, you can, because right. the, peop the people I was talking about who came forward in Texas all identify as women. So I'm, I'm 
calling like it's just the respectful thing. But yes, absolutely. Like trans men have abortions, trans men get pregnant and give birth. Um, gender non-conforming, g- uh, gender queer people, non-binary people, and it, it's really important when in our litigation we use gender-neutral language unless we're talking about an individual person who's told us how they identify, right? So we may have a plaintiff who is a woman, and we will refer to her as a woman. But when we're talking more broadly, we want to make sure everyone knows, like it's not only people who identify as women who give birth, who have abortions, who need these rights. And so we always try to be as gender neutral and expansive as possible in our um, litigation. Because what you end up with having is people say, oh, like this kind of health care is not for me. And then they don't get it. And that's really dangerous. Absolutely. So um, two things that you talked about, you know, we talked about states uh, and state legislatures, um, which is where a lot of this battle is happening, um, and sort of our nation being divided state by state, whether they are supportive of trans rights and abortion rights or not. Um, The other thing you talked about was the sort of national organizations that are anti-abortion and anti-trans and anti-any bodily autonomy, essentially. Uh, But we also know that some of that is happening uh, largely um, in the Supreme Court. And so the Supreme Court has made some troubling rulings, including overturning Roe v. Wade, which is a huge, huge blow for our movement. Uh, And then the recent 303 creative decision, uh, which basically paves the way for businesses to discriminate against queer people and trans people um, for religious reasons. So how would you describe the impact of some of those national Supreme Court decisions on Minnesotans? Yeah, so so Minnesota does have really strong protections. We have the Minnesota Human Rights Act, which is a... It's, it's a really, really broad anti-discrimination law. It applies to education. It applies to business. It applies to employment. Um, it's, it's just a very, uh, it's a strong law. But cases like 303 Creative are cases that, and Masterpiece Cake Shop, if y'all are familiar with like the cupcake, the Colorado case involving like cupcakes. Um, that was great alliteration. Colorado Colorado cupcakes. cupcakes. (laughs) Conspiracy. Yes, the Colorado conspiracy is a great, a great. Yeah, and we can talk about that. But, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, these are challenges to state level anti discrimination laws, right? Like 303 Creative was a challenge to Colorado's anti discrimination law. Um, and so as robust as Minnesota's protections are, they are under attack, even if like our specific law is not the one that's in front of the court, because the court's ruling on like, okay, there's a, a religious claim. Well, actually, 303 Creative was a speech claim. It's really complicated. It's, it's a little too complicated in this time we have to explain why it's a speech and not a religion claim. But basic, to sum it up, the uh, religious... Uh, folks claiming that the law burdens their religious beliefs, like they shouldn't have to serve LGBT couples because it violates their religion, have a stronger argument in court under a speech claim than they do under a religious liberties claim in federal court. And so that's why they come in with with speech claims. And so 303 Creative was a religious-based speech claim. Um, but it, it was a challenge not just to Colorado's anti-discrimination law. It's a challenge to state-level anti-discrimination laws, period. Um, that being said, litigation, like, I, I'm talking and I see, like, it's totally fine. Like, a lot of, like, all right, the lawyers, like, lawyering. Um, and, and that's, like, that's the thing, right? Like, most people don't sit down and read 200-page Supreme Court opinions. They read about it in the news. They hear maybe a podcast, distill it. And it's really, like... What the ruling says is sometimes less important than what people think the ruling says because people self-censor. So you think like, I don't have the right to go to a store and be served. I don't have, like you start to think you don't have rights that you actually do because the headlines are always really confusing. Yeah, how you're given media choices decide to frame the issue will have a big impact on how you think that actually played out. Yeah, absolutely. So I remember when, when uh, during the Trump administration, they were making all of these changes to gender-affirming care, like laws regarding gender-affirming care. And we would get calls from people being like, will health insurance still cover my gender-affirming care? And I'm like, yeah. And it's like, oh, you're seeing these like completely bananas headlines that make it appear like you don't have access to gender-affirming care. And that's really scary. And that's sometimes like... Uh, just as effective as them like going to court and winning a case, right? It's like not just what the the ruling says, but what society thinks it says, because most people aren't going to read the ruling. I, as as a non-lawyer, most of that made sense to me, but I'm sure that some <laughs> of you are also here like, I understand in concept what you're talking about. But but really what this is all about is is that people 
are starting to have rights taken away from them because other people think that they are better than them. Uh, and, and that's really the whole foundation of nonprofit work is fighting against people who think that they're better than other people. Um, <laughs> I mean, to distill it down really, uh, really tiny there. Um, thank you, Jess. That was very informative. Um, speaking about all of you, and I'm just going to praise you all a little bit. Uh, you, you all are passionate about helping people, nonprofit professionals. Uh, you make society better. Um, every single one of you has probably helped someone in the last day or so. Maybe not with the conference, but, uh, you know. <laughs> um, but in your work, you help people every single day. You could be an accountant for a huge, you know, I don't know why I'm stuck on accountants today. Well, there are some in the room. I, I met some of them last night at the pub. Hey! <laughs> Sorry, one second. No. Uh, we'll let Anna sneeze here. Yeah, thank you. Um, which is like the blank stares aren't fair then. It's like the pot, you know, it, it's like, okay, the accountants are looking at the lawyer, like blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> uh, there's a walked into a bar joke there. The, the, yeah, the, yeah. the accountant staring at the lawyer. Okay. Anyway. An accountant and a lawyer walk into a bar and then go our separate ways. So it would just be like too boring for the two of us to sit there all day with each other. Tell without, me like, about real this people. brief that you're writing. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about that accountant. Yeah. That budget report. Yeah. Um, no, but like, even as accountants for nonprofits, all of you are doing work that supports other people who are doing work. As Minoka said, you are helping people who help people, um, which is incredible. Saying all of that, what advice as a lawyer, Jess, do you have for these people, legally or generally, um, about welcoming and helping queer people? Yeah, so I... For a lot of these things, I'm like the worst person to to answer these questions because, um, as as Anna said correctly, like, you know, I do gender advocacy. I teach people like you should use people's correct pronouns, and like at the same time, like, and personally in my life, I hate gender. Like, I go into a bathroom, I get yelled at. Like, it's hard for me to use bathrooms on road trip. Like, all my life, gender has been an issue. I went to an extremely religious school where like men and women sat separately, and every morning men said a prayer that was like, or boys. Like, thank God for not making me a woman, right? Like, it was really oppressive. It was really Whoa, bad. Holy crap. You, you said that yeah, really that, offhandedly. That's that, crazy. That is wild. Oh, no. Like, like people think, people always, like, talk to me and they think, like, oh, you grew up in this progressive, like, you're the legal director of gender justice. And I'm like, like no. <laughs> um, I'm like the black sheep of the family. Um, but, like, it, you know, it's, um, so, so I'm not always the best person to answer this question, but I think the problem is in nonprofits, in employment, and it's the same within court, is like it's a system of gatekeepers, even if we all want to think like, oh, we're all wonderful, right? Like there's gatekeepers to your health care, there's gatekeepers to your happiness, there's gatekeepers to your bodily autonomy always. And you always have to distill your life experience down in a way that these gatekeepers can understand or... But, you know, the other way is you refuse to do that and then you're like a problem employee, right? Like it's like you kind of have this catch-22 of like... So I remember I was in court and a judge, the first judge to ask me what my pronouns were, I thought that was so cool. But like my honest answer is like, I use any. And I think he kind of felt like no good deed goes unpunished. Like, what am I supposed to do with this information? <laughs> you know, and it's, and it's, but it's like, it's, it's, he wasn't rude. Like he was, he's a funny guy. Like it's, we're fine. Um, but like, it, it's, it's kind of true, right? Like a lot of corporate DEI stuff does involve people distilling who they are and their life experiences. And it's not just trans, it's not just gender, Right down into a way that whoever the gatekeeper is will understand it. You know, and the that's check just, boxes on your employment yeah. intake form, you know, check off what gender you are. And you're like, well, if I use all pronouns or, you know, right. like, how yeah. do I fit your bubble so, of expectations right. for my identity? And sorry, speaking as a disabled person, too, there is just a checkbox that's like, are you disabled? Are you not? And then there's also multiple sections that are like, can you do the work assigned? And I'm like, I don't know. It depends on the day. You know, like, it, right. Employment is a whole nother shit show. Uh, and, and regarding gender, holy cow, no one gets it right. No. And so, you know, this is how we end up with these kinds of stories of like, what does it mean to be transgender? It's like you're born in the wrong body. It's like maybe someone feels that way. That's not a universal experience, but it becomes this thing that like cisgender people can understand and digest. So that becomes a narrative. But does it really reflect how people feel about themselves? Like maybe, maybe not. Like probably, like I don't even want to say probably, right? Like definitely not everyone. 
probably not even the majority. Um, and so that's what lawyering is too, right? Like I have to take people's really personal life experiences and distill it down so that a gatekeeper who's a judge can understand it and feel like it's relatable. And you always lose when you do that. Like something is always lost in translation and then you get this case law that builds on itself. So once the court goes in this wacky direction about what it means to be transgender, you have to kind of keep the easiest, the path of least resistance is to keep following it rather than being like, okay, this ruling was good, but the court's description of what it's like to be transgender was wrong. Let's have this really nuanced discussion. Or I can say, yes, every trans person like is insistent, persistent, and consistent about their gender, right? Because that's a quote from a you know, from a lot of rulings on uh, trans kids who want to use bathrooms at school, right? And it's like, does is that true? Like, no. But like, is it something that courts can kind of understand? And maybe it was true for that plaintiff. Maybe it was true for that person, right? Like he's consistently been male, right? But for a lot of us, gender's like, you know, some days I feel this way, some days I feel that way. But if I want to win in court, I have to pretend I always feel one way all the time, right? You're always going to lose something in translation. And I think if going back to the original question, which is like, what can workplaces do? I think it's kind of understanding that like, like you might hear DEI advice. That's like use transgender, not transsexual, but some people use the word transsexual for themselves. Um, it's just true. Right. And so there's word the way I try to say it is like, if I'm going into court, this is the term I'd probably use with a judge. But if I'm working one-on-one -on -one with a client and they tell me this is how I identify, that's the term I use, right? And if I'm going to use something different in court than, than what they tell me, I'll have that conversation with them first. And if they don't want me to do that, I will not. I'll tell them the pros and cons, right? Like the judge understands this, it's easier, but like I'm I wanna I want you to feel like this is authentic to you, like and we 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 might talk it through. Um yeah. th this is really important to I, I am the interim board chair for Trans Northland, and this is a really important conversation that is happening in the trans community, especially is terminology. Um, and and you know, not we don't we're we've got Jess here, so I don't want to like sit on my soapbox and tell you all about the terminology don't about do, gender. Oh, please, uh, <laughs> I want to no. know. <laughs> um, but a lot of people, especially pe people who identify as two spirit, do not identify as trans. And so, in trying to name an organization that will carry weight and will do work, uh, it is really important to use like language that the people are using. But if the people are using different language than what is traditionally found. It can be really challenging. Uh, Two-Spirit Northland would be really cool. It's not exactly what we fit with because the majority of our board is white. But it's also important that we recognize in the term trans all of our Two-Spirit uh, relatives, all of our um, non-binary people, all of our gender non-conforming folks. Like, there is so much power in terms and the way that people describe themselves is what you should use for them. But when you're talking generally, it's important to make sure that you are understood more than anything else. So that's why we go with the term trans. That's why we go with the term queer. Because those are broadly understood terms that are accepted in the community, but are not necessarily indicative of every single person. For example, Cam, I don't want to like out you here, um, <laughs> but do you... Do you <laughs> Do you identify with the term queer by any chance? I do. Um, but that doesn't necessarily, you're not like a queer, you know, sexual or queer gender. And you just use the word queer. Yeah. I exactly. Mean, that's, that, it, it's, it's a better descriptor of my sexuality than any other descriptor that exists. But for example, I'm lesbian. I use the term queer. I hate the term gay for myself. It is baked in misogyny. Um, but, but really what it boils down to is, I still use the term queer because it, I, it determines, like, it, it is a broad way of saying, hey, I'm, I'm not straight. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a little bit, I'm a little bit fruity. Um, <laughs> and so it's really important when we are talking about the dichotomy between what language do you use in the courtroom, on a form, yeah. in your general day-to-day, -day, versus if you have a client, if you have a person, if you have someone in front of you who's like, oh, I actually don't like that term, I use this term. 
there's a difference there and you have to be accepting of that person and what they say. It boils down to the same thing that I was talking about earlier of just accepting people for who they are and where they're at. Can I talk about the form really quick? Um, and this is coming as a former human resources professional. Don't ask questions you don't need the answer to. Uh, you know, <laughs> like, do, do, you, do you as an organization absolutely need to know whether your employee is a transgender person or not? Because sitting there and spending 16 days and going through focus groups to come up with which checkboxes you want on your form for information that is not useful to your organization is absolutely bizarre to me. Like, there, if you're asking the question on the form, it had better be useful in some demographic data you need to give to a funder or some other context. Otherwise, don't ask the question. There's no reason for it. Do in personal conversations, have good conversations with people about how would you like me to address you and what pronouns would you like me to use? Do you even use pronouns? All important conversations. But when it comes to those HR forms, don't do questions that you don't need. Also, please do not be like, I think you're trans. Can you tell me if you're trans? I have had this happen to me, y'all. Like, it sounds like a fake situation, but I have had someone be like, you know, you seem like you're trans to me. Are you trans? Like, don't. It's like ever asking somebody do if that. they're pregnant. Like, yeah. it's just don't. Until somebody tells you, don't think about it. Um, but if it is important to you, there are ways to ask it that are good. And Jess, I want to get your thoughts on this, being yeah. another trans person up on the stage. What do you think is a good way to ask people, if it's necessary, as Cam was saying, are you trans? Um, I'm trying to think of a time where it would be necessary. Like, I, I don't... I, I think it's like... I think, like, going back... Like, I'm not sure when it would be necessary. Um, I can't... Even even with, like, close friends, I'm like, this isn't something I, I... Like, please share it with me if it's something you want me to know and don't share it if you don't. And so um, I would first need to... Like, I'd love to hear what you think because I can't even think of an example of when someone would need to know that. Well, so, like, for example, in, in our bylaws for Trans Northland, we have it written that we have to have a board that is at least 60% trans identified oh. people. And so like it's really important yeah, for us yeah. that we get that demographic information. Yeah. But it's also not like if we were to be walking up to a donor and being like, "Hey, so you seem like you're trans." <laughs> hey, so um you really support the trans community. You know, do you want to like support us and like give us money? Like there's no reason for that. We we have all these trans people here. <laughs> like um but, I mean, like, there are other situations that I can see that coming up. But the main one that I, I can use personal example is for the Trans Northland, where, you know, that's yeah. an And we do that for gender question. justice as well. We need to report to our certain funders that a percentage of our leadership is um, a certain demographic. And often that is trans or queer in some way. So. Yeah, no, that, that's a perfect way to do it because I think it's exactly what you, what you and Cam have been saying, which is, you know, as part of our organization, we need to we need to have 60% of our board be trans because we are a trans-led organization. That you know, you would give the reasons. You know, do, do, like does that do you fit in that category? And let people decide for themselves and not police them one way or another because it's not really up to right. Like you would, I, mean, I assume you would agree. It's not up to you to decide if that person is trans. It's up to that person to tell you if they are and they can say yes or no, but you're giving them the reason why you need that information and they can still decline. You know, like I, I think even, even after that, they could say, you know, I'm, I don't know, like, I don't know that about myself or I'm not comfortable sharing. And I think if you really don't need to know, like, okay, fine. So you have like, can, can you figure out the 60% thing without knowing? And if so, like, great, done. Yeah. It, Absolutely. There, there are ways to go about this and get that information and use it, but it doesn't need to be like a, hmm, I want to know if you're trans. It doesn't need to be a, hmm, I think you might be trans. Let me ask you about it. Um, and I think that's really important to know. Just like you, like, like Cam said, you wouldn't ask somebody if they're pregnant. I hope not. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jess, you know, one thing that I, I wanted to ask you uh, is... You have done so much legal advocacy work. How has being a trans person in a courtroom affected your work? And were you presenting assists and masking to get better outcomes? You know, it's such a great question because, like, court is the most, like, gendered place, right? Like, there's you wear suits, and so there's, like, men's suits and women's. I mean, there's not really men's suits and women's suits, but, like, if you go to a store, right, there's men's suits and women's suits. And I've always worn men's suits, um, and I've always had my hair like this the entire time I've been an attorney. And I've always looked... Uh, people on the podcast can't tell. I look like I'm about 12. I'm 40. <laughs> um, and so, like, you know, when I represented kids in court, they'd be like, are you in my high school? You know, like, it was like that. <laughs> um, and so... 
everyone who comes to court who's not what people think of when they think lawyer has to deal with this. Like, I need to be taken seriously. And it's not, right? Like, you could be, like, in family court, like, some of the black women attorneys were mistaken for um, defendants in abuse and neglect cases. It's, like, it's terrible, right? And so it's not just a gender thing. Like, you're always kind of um, having to do things that, that people who can take it for granted don't even have to think about. And so I think for me... I, I've always, I've just kind of been my authentic self. I've represented clients who are like outwardly homophobic, who've committed hate crimes against gay people, but like they just want a competent lawyer. I was a public defender. I, I'm very proud of that work. And we can talk, we could have a whole separate conversation about like, should you be defending those people? Like my answer is yes, but like whatever. Um, you know, but like what they want is a competent lawyer and what the judges want is a competent attorney. And like there can be some hazing and stuff like that. But you, it's hard because you're playing a game. Like you can't just go in and advocate for your client. You're thinking like, how is this judge going to see me? Um, I remember I once had a substitute judge in on what's called arraignments, which is where people are in jail and I try to get them out or get a, a bail amount that they can afford. And the judge was this like older retired judge who could not figure out my gender, did not know how to ask. So he'd like <laughs> mutter, he'd be like, oh, this is a bit of braverman, you know, and I was like, excuse you know, like what? <laughs> And so it's like, part of me is like, I could ask to approach, you know, I don't want to take away from, I, I need to get these people out of prison. Like, I, it's like, yeah, I'm being, it's like, this is disrespectful. I also need to get these people out of prison. Like, what do I do? And those situations are really complicated. I would never allow, this is maybe like the nonprofit martyr. Like, I would never allow a judge to do to my client what they've done to me. Like, <laughs> if they were doing that, if they were pulling that with my clients, I'd be in their face. But like, you know, it's it's hard. You have to kind of, um, my, my I have a job that I took very seriously and I have to advocate for those clients. And sometimes it meant I was in weird situations. Um, I, I think... By the end of it, I just kind of thought it was funny because he, he was like squirming and I was like, all right, like at least I get some amusement out of this. <laughs> Sorry, for all of the cisgender straight uh, white men who are in the room, um, this is a common experience for anyone who is not you. <laughs> uh, so just just throwing that out there. Yeah. Uh, I learned that too. So <laughs> wait. Yeah, but but I never, I never hid who I was. The only thing I did was I... I don't have a, so when I was like 20, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I was born in the 80s. I'm a 90s kid. We use the term gender queer then. Now I think people use like non-binary. Um, th there's lots of terminology that's changed over the years. Um, but someone once told me that I should not use any pronoun because it was like disrespectful, which I, which I now know is wrong, but it's what someone told me at the time. And I was like, okay, so I'll just, if I don't care, I'll pick one. Right. So I just went with she, her thinking it was the right thing to do. Um, and so when I was in court, I kind of just used she heard to make things easier for every for myself and for everyone else like i like i was like i don't want my gender to be a distraction and like i just need to get my clients what they need and i was i was actually like okay with it because it wasn't a setting where everyone was always like what's your pronoun what's your pronoun what's your pronoun it was just a setting where like people know who you are cuz you're in front of the same judges every day they call you what they're used to call you and you i don't have to think about my gender really all that much except when i need to pee and i'm in a men's suit with short hair in a courthouse with no gender neutral bathrooms which is like horrible um there's there was nowhere for me to go to the bathroom in the middle of murder trials like that but that's like a whole other thing um and so like i you know i i wouldn't hide i wasn't like hiding who i was but i was also trying to like make things easier for everyone in a way i could live with but then I took this job at Gender Justice, where gender is a topic all the time. And I was like, what's your pronoun? What's your pronoun? What's your pronoun? And I almost had a nervous breakdown. So I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know what my, I'm a 40-year-old person who does not know what my pronoun is. Um, and so now I just use any. And I learned that, like, it's actually okay to just use any. It's not disrespectful to anyone to use any. And, like, it is the thing that makes my blood pressure go back to normal. Like, when people say, what's your pronoun? I'm like, any. I'm like, oh. God, I don't have to think about my gender like all the time. You don't have to have a gender crisis every yeah, time every someone time, speaks yes, to you. Which is like all the time. Like every meeting was like, what's your pronouns? Like, when are you going to talk about me in the third person? Like, I, like we are on a Zoom meeting. Like, just, don't, just don't perceive me. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, it's the only time I've been scolded by our executive director because when I first came on board, I was like, let's add the Slack, the pronouns ability so that we all know what's going on. And she's like, so just so you know, Kim, not everyone here uses pronouns and it's really important you understand that? I was like, oh, another learning point for me. That's really good. <laughs> but but I don't want people, I, I think I, 
I, I'm not trying to overcomplicate. I think I don't want anyone to leave thinking this is overcomplicated. Right. It's actually really simple at the end of the day. It's like, what do people want to be called? What makes people feel that they can be authentic? That's the thing you go with. And the way I've explained this, and it's not a perfect comparison, but I went to this, it was called like a critical thinking group. It was like in the suburbs. It was for people who like to think hard about issues they haven't thought about before. It was a super interesting experience. But I was trying to, they wanted to understand like trans stuff. And I was trying to figure out a way to explain it. And part of me is like, you don't have to understand it. You just have to be respectful. But like, if you want to understand it, let's see what we can do. And I was trying, like thinking it through. And I was like, I remember when I was a kid and I would talk to like older women. And if you messed up like miss or misses, they'd go ballistic, right? Like, it's like, no, it's misses, you know, and you're just like, oh. And like, I can think marriage is stupid. I can think like, I don't get these labels. I would never use misses. Like I can think all those things, but like, it does not matter. This is important to them and I will use it. And I don't need to tell them I think it's ridiculous. You know, like it's, it's not a conversation that I need to have with them. It's like, if they say it's Mrs. Smith, like M Mrs. Smith, right? Like that's it. Um, and I think it's sometimes just as simple as that. Like what's something that's really important to you about your identity you know, that you would, it would be frustrating if people got wrong all the time. So like, I, I, it sounds like we're overcomplicating it. Cause I'm like, each person is unique and blah, blah. It's, it's actually so simple. It's like, what, what will it take for someone to feel like they can be their authentic self and like go with that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really funny. If you ever want to know what it is like to have a trans person, uh, experience, have someone use a wrong pronoun for you. Um, and if you do this out in public just with random people and you're like obviously misgendering them, you know, if they if they like are presenting super masculine and you're like, oh, I'm going to use a feminine pronoun for them and they are a cisgender person, watch them go ballistic on you. Immediately correct it is, you. It is wild. I have never met a trans person who is as ridiculous as that is, you know? <laughs> um, uh, and I've met a lot of trans people who are very protective of their pronouns. Um so, you know, like, it's it's important that uh, we also recognize that we all have our own identities, and um, sometimes people are way more defensive of their <laughs> identities. Um, Which is a funny pivot to our final question, because um, we always ask the same question at the end to our guests as well. So, Jess, <laughs> I know this is the question that you've probably been dreading the most. <laughs> uh, we like to talk about gender euphoria, and I, I, I have a little bit of time, so I'm going to tell you about what a gender euphoria is. So um, in, in the DSM-5, which is the way that people get diagnosed with uh, mental health uh, diagnoses, um, the term for gender uh, difference or you're being trans is gender dysphoria. And for a lot of people, that is a very loaded term. Um, and in the world that I am trying to build, Dysphoria is inherently negative. It means, what do you hate about yourself? What are the bad things? And so to spread joy and to spread love, I end every episode with a gender euphoria. And euphoria, I think we all know what that is. It's a happiness. It's, it's something that we feel. Everyone can have gender euphorias. I love to ask cisgender people, like, what made you feel good about who you are in your gender today? Maybe it's buying a new shirt. Maybe it's buying, uh, you know, some, some new makeup product. Maybe it's you wore something that you had no idea you would look good in and you look great all day. And we all can have gender euphoria. It, trans and cis people both. It's okay. It's okay. You can have it. It's okay to be <laughs> You're euphoric allowed. about your gender. <laughs> it's okay to struggle with your gender too, but be euphoric about it if you can. Um, so Jess, could you tell us about your gender euphoria for today? <laughs> Um, I, yes, I have an answer to this question as much as gender drives me nuts because I like don't know, <laughs> I don't know who I am. Um, but like, I, I'll first start by saying a lot of people send us hate. This is the story I was telling you earlier. And they'll say things like, um, you know, screw you and your gender shit, right? And I'm like, I say that every time I enter a bathroom. Like, I'm like, screw all of you and your gender shit. Like, I can't deal with these gendered bathrooms. Um, so gender is a, it's a tough topic for me personally it always has been but i do have gender euphoria 
I grew up playing girls sports and I would always have these really excited coaches who'd be like, my last name's Braverman. They'd be like, come on, braver woman. You know, like they, they thought they were being clever, but like they all did the same thing. And, the, you know, they'd be like, all right, let's go ladies. And it's like, if a waiter at a restaurant comes to my table and is like, what do you ladies want? I'm like, Ugh, whatever. But if a gym coach is like, let's go ladies. I'm like, hell yeah. Like I, I have, like, I have like total gender euphoria in sport. Like yeah. it's like the, the time where I'm like, this is, this is like, this is me. Like I, I am in this, like, yes, I want to play women's sport. Like that's when I know exactly where I belong. And I feel really good being like, call, like, it's like, I let gym coaches say things to me that I would never like, <laughs> you know, like, like great job ladies. I'm like, yeah, we did do a good job ladies. Like, you know, it's like just sport. Like, <laughs> um, this is also good for all of you because this economy, you need a second job. If you are the person who's like, what can I get you ladies? And you're in a service position. Don't just say y'all yeah. just be like, what yeah. can I get y'all? Just, what can just I get keep you? It as neutral it's, as you can. It's just, oh, it's so bad. We had this whole discussion about y'all and how we don't pronounce it right. <laughs> yeah, Southern, if you're, sorry if you're from the South and we Minnesotans are using y'all now. We have co-opted <laughs> it from you because it's a more gender neutral. I know. As, as a white person from the Bronx, I grew up saying use guys. So it's like I really need to like, I really need to try. We do folks a lot here in Minnesota <laughs> yeah, too. Folks, yep, yep. Well, with all that said, Jess, I want to thank you so much. That was a, such a good conversation. I mean, it was good in this context, but also it was like super good just for all of our podcast guests. You, you are an amazing one. Um, and we really appreciate your insights and work towards gender justice. Um, and I'm so happy to be your colleague. I think uh, I, I really look up to you a lot. It, it has been great to get to know you, Jess. Uh, I have heard so much about you uh, from Cam. Uh, but uh, no, but genuinely, like, this is one of the best guest interviews we've had. Oh, and thank you so much for having me. I was binging your podcast yesterday, and it wasn't just to prepare for this. I would, like, listen to the first one and was like, oh my God. And then I just had the whole thing on, like, I listened on the whole drive up. Like, I, you, y'all are wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> And thank you all, Minnesota Council of Nonprofits conference attendees and Minnesota Council of Nonprofits, my second home. <laughs> um, I didn't put this in my script, but I will say, if you want to find us, uh, you can find us at transgendapod.com. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram and other social media. And uh, you can locate us wherever podcasts can be found, as well as YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I've been Cam. I've been Anna. And this has been The Transgenda. Love you all except the bigots. <laughs>